the Comic News, episode 226. I am one of your hosts, Chris, alongside my Wild West co-host, Mike. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, rooting, tooting, shooting. <laughs> that would have been better. Yeah, I'll, I'll help you out next time. <laughs> uh, yeah, welcome everybody. Today on the show, we have uh, a very... Um, relative to that statement uh awesome writer justin gray and if you're a jonah hex fan you definitely know who that is and we'll talk about some other stuff with him he's got a kickstarter coming up um so look a little forward to that a little bit later but uh before we do that chris and i got some stuff to talk about uh more importantly the best film to be released this year for sure um hands down I said it. Suicide Squad. Is it Suicide Squad 2? I can never figure that out. Is that in the title? No, it's The Suicide Squad, which is... I I get it. It's a soft reboot, so right. you don't want to call it Suicide Squad 2. Yeah. Especially, like, you really don't want to be tied. You want to try to t- push yourself as far away from that first movie as possible. Mm-hmm. But it is confusing at the same time, especially when you're trying to talk about comparisons between the two. <laughs> right. And like explaining to people like my mom who wanted to watch it. Like I watched one of those, you know, Suicide Squad movies re- uh, a few years back. And I'm like, yeah, but this is kind of like I know some of the same people are in it, but this one's going to be much better, way different tone. Um, and, you know, to Chris's wish, a lot of people died. Yeah. Nobody was safe. <laughs> um, uh, well, yeah. I mean, do you want to get into Suicide Squad now or do you want to save that for later? No, we'll save it for later for sure. We'll okay. talk about it. Yeah. So uh, real quick, everybody, a uh, couple weeks away, the 21st, I'm going to be at AnchorCon. So if anybody's in the New York area, check me out there, as well as our good friend Joe and uh, former guest of the show, David Whalen will be there as well. It's actually not a comic book con. It's a uh, boat anchor con where you can yeah. buy all shapes and sizes of boat anchors. And yeah, Chris is just a, a boat anchor enthusiast. We're just really in a nautical shit. <laughs> I just love, I, I, I want to see everybody wearing like captain's hats. <laughs> walking around. Uh, and also I, on this subject of suicide squad, I'm doing mm-hmm. a panel with some friends on Wednesday on okay. the I freaking love comics channel. And it's a, nice. uh, it's a debate topic of is the DC extended universe as bad as we say it is. So if you want to uh, mean, join on, on that, check it out. Hold on a second. That's like a, a backhanded compliment right off from the, like you're already calling a bad. And, but you're saying like, you're saying there's some hope there that it's good. So like, well, I don't know what our official thesis is yet, but that's kind of how it started was like, somebody was like, we should just have a, because we were in a uh, live stream about the suicide squad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was actually in the minority of saying that the first suicide squad is a dumpster fire that should be forgotten about. Really? Yeah. And it amazed me that there's people that actually defend that fucking movie. Um, and somebody uh, suggested like, well, why don't we have a, a debate about like, is the DC extended universe really as bad as we say, or is it good or is it that movie's bad? But like, obviously it wasn't the characters because, you know, 
quite a few of the characters made their way into, I mean, like I watched it. Um, and like Viola Davis, I mean, I could watch Viola Davis scream at superhero or super villains for like an hour and a half. Like she's so good. And she was so good in the first suicide squad. And they recognize that, but we'll talk, I mean, we'll, yeah. we don't need to talk about it yet, but I'm, I'm just going to go off in my rant, but, but that's, that's um, the, the basis of it. Um, yeah. Our buddy, okay. our buddy, Danny, who, uh, was a co-host on this show when you were out one week is going to be on mm-hmm. it. And, mm-hmm. uh, our other buddy, Miracle Man is going to be on it as well. So it's gonna be interesting. I really am putting in time to like go through each DC extended movie and really put my thoughts together. And I, I did it last night a little bit. And, uh, mm-hmm. While I still think the DC Extended U isn't that great, it's there's only one that's really a dumpster fire, and it's the original Suicide Squad movie. The rest are just kind of middling, in my opinion, or good or great. Yeah, but we can get in more into that when we go talk about Suicide Squad. Yep. Um, uh, TV news. Yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. Uh, we finally got uh, we finally got the Why the Last Man trailer. Um, all I all I you know when I. When I tell people that our big Why the Last Fan fans that the trailer's out, all they've told me was, I hope that it's a TV show over a movie. Yes, it's a TV show. Oh. It's a little confusing because, um, I mean, so trailer aside, I'm just talking about the streaming platform. It's FX on Hulu. So it sounds like this show's going straight to streaming. It's not going to be on live television even though it's going to like the FX channel on Hulu, it's all very confusing to me. I'm not sure how to watch the show yet. I'm not sure how that works either. I thought it was yeah. like, it, it's going to be on FX, but then me it'll too. be like also on Hulu at the same time. I, yeah. I, I but it, cause like it specifically in the trailer says FX on Hulu. And I'm like, now I'm just confused. <laughs> yeah. It looked uh, interesting though. Yeah. I think, I think it looks good. I think a lot of the characters, I mean, you you've read no you haven't read why the last man no, have you? I, haven't. Um, I have not a lot of the characters are straight copy paste from the book uh we see a lot of the main characters um it's hard to really talk about a lot without spoiling anything obviously ampersand the monkey's there so um count me in uh yorick is the craziest the craziest uh, lead character name but it works um i will say that like why the last man had such a perfect ending and it's a little ambiguous and I just hope they can nail it for T like the overarching story is amazing. Brian K Vaughn's amazing writer, but the ending is like one of the best endings. I'll never forget. Nothing crazy happens, but it kind of like leaves you like to think about, you know, what happens after that? Like, but it's not a good or a bad thing. Um, I just think that's been done before. And I, I, the only thing that comes up to my mind is uh, Lost with the whole uh, purgatory thing at the at the very end of the season. And then they kind of like left it up to speculation. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully it doesn't take a wild, crazy turn like that. But from what I saw in the trailer, I think they're I think they've definitely taken their time with it because they've been talking about this for like 10 years. Um, I remember talking about a Why the Last Man show when I was in college. So. Uh, I think it's been that long, Chris. But overall, I'm excited for it. Yeah, it feels like it's been forever. I don't got much to add other than it looks interesting. Like, I like the yeah, premise. Right. 
Right. Uh, and it looks like it's got a budget, <laughs> which yeah, I know okay. sounds weird, but like it, it's important to that show that we actually have the the look of actually being given care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so other than uh, that, it just it looks fun. I want to bring this up for TV news. I, I saw a trailer for this. I didn't even know it was happening. Uh, sci-fi of all places. I don't even know who the hell owns that channel anymore. I'm, I'm so confused by who owns what. Sifi? <laughs> yeah, Sifi. After they, ch- yeah, they changed the thing. Uh, it's they're getting a TV show, a Chucky TV show. Yeah, it's been a thing for a little while. I guess I didn't know about that, but I, I I saw the trailer. I'm like, wow, this looks pretty good. Is this a new movie? And it was actually a TV show, and I. I'm kind of intrigued. Like, I might end up checking it out. I don't know. Uh, it didn't look super cheesy like most of the sci-fi shit that happens. Uh, I might check it out. But it was just a little little interesting thing I saw, like, watching the actual television because, you know, the Olympic Games were on the last couple weeks. So Yeah, because I can't remember. Did the Chucky movie come out where it's like he's it's an android that went... Yeah. Okay, yep. yeah, so... This TV show was actually announced alongside that because this one's supposed to be more traditional to like, it's a serial, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not the Chucky historian, but it's a serial murderer's (laughs) soul inside this doll. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I'm pretty sure you're you're right about that. Um, Yeah. And I saw the new movie, that was the one that Mark Hamill voiced, and I thought that was actually pretty good. Yeah, I just... Um, I thought that... The whole Chucky dynamic does nothing for him. Yeah, it's just, it's, like, it's like kick him like a football, right? Like, how is he that intimidating? You just kick him across the room and be done with it. Yeah. But um, you're excited for this. Star Wars Bad Batch renewed for a second season. Yeah, uh, I really enjoy this season. It's been weird, though. I was talking to somebody about it. I think I'm like three episodes behind because I kind of forget mm-hmm. it exists. And then one day I'm like, oh, yeah, Bad Batch. And I watch it for two yeah. hours straight. Uh-huh. But it's a really fun series, and I'm glad because I like the animation style, and I just I love Clone Wars. So more right. Clone Wars is a good thing in my eyes. Yeah, and Star Wars has been done a really great job of animated shows for a while now. I mean, Rebels. I haven't checked out Resistance yet, but I've heard good things about that. So keep it up. Um, as far as animated shows, I actually after you know watching the Suicide Squad, I was kind of uh, pushed to. I, I was looking through HBO Max and I'm like, oh yeah, the uh, the Harley Quinn show is on here, and I think it got announced for third season. So I, I was finishing up the first season. And I'm like, this show is actually pretty awesome. Uh, I know we've talked about it before, but like, I I think it just like slipped through the cracks. I just never finished it. I'm, I'm still enjoying it. Um, yeah, and so I guess we'll just jump into movie news. Yeah, let's do it. We have a uh, we have a Blue Beetle, folks. Um, Cobra Kai actor. Uh, I really am going to mess up this name. I want to say uh, Zolo Maraduena. I hope so. Uh, we'll be paying Jamie Reyes. So we're getting a newer Blue Beetle. We're not getting Ted Cord. Maybe Ted Cord will show up as like a mentor. Um but yeah, so I I've been watching this actor in Cobra Kai. He's the main character. I think um, out of the Cobra Kai show, he's probably he's probably the best teen actor out of all of them. Uh, I think he's got the he definitely has the experience to pull this off. Um, I think it's a good fit. And 
yeah, good for him. I mean, everybody knows how Cobra Kai has gotten so popular. So, yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> this one for me, I'm not a Blue Beetle fan, so there's not much for me to add. Yeah. Uh, and I even watched, I was watching um, Batman Brave and the Bold recently. And if you watch that cartoon, the first like episode or first five episodes, Blue Beetle shows up a couple times and it's the Jamie Reyes Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. And even that's kind of like, he's almost just like, I don't know, he's like the comedic. It's hard to be, it's hard to find out where he fits, you know, because is he a, is he a sci-fi character? Because, you know, he gets the powers from alien tech. Um, are they going to keep him on Earth? Are they going to send him into space? I guess we'll wait and see, but uh, it's a, there's not it's a big following. It's a neat premise, but it right. feels like at its core, it's like cyborg but blue <laughs> yeah exactly like, Especially, yeah, yeah 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 so i mean i'll I'll go see it i'm sure it'll be a lot of fun but it, mm-hmm. i've never like searched out blue beetle stuff in my life even ted cord like right i'm not a big just blue beetle fan in general so but um, yeah i'll check it out polka dot man and his amazing friends okay so Suicide Squad talk, everybody. If you do not want to hear about Suicide Squad, you haven't watched it yet, well, it's too damn bad. Uh, What were you doing that you didn't watch it? Uh, But you could probably skip, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. But um, (laughs) I will say, I just read the article where they said that the movie bombed at the box office. And it's like, I mean, no shit. Uh, People aren't paying extra for it at HBO. It's an R-rated movie. And hello, I went to the theater last week to see a Disney movie and it wasn't, there was like maybe eight people in the theater. So people still aren't going to the movies. Yeah, you run into multiple problems here that it is on HBO Max. So even if you're not an HBO Max person and you really want to see this, like what's a month? 10 bucks, 15 bucks? Yeah. That's about what it costs to go to the theater. Plus we're dealing with the... a possible surge of this new Delta variant, depending on mm-hmm. where you live. And so people are kind of back in that, like, eh, I don't know if I should be going out phase. Yep. So of course, yeah, of course it bombed. I mean, I don't even, it's tough to even say bombed in today's world. Like what is no, bombed? Because, <laughs> like you look at the reviews, it still is a 96 on Rotten Tomatoes. It had a hundred percent last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I even texted you about it. I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. Um, I loved it. And even, I mean, DC must have loved it because they ta- are already talking about more James Gunn films. Yeah. Uh, they're like, what James Gunn tweets? You know, do whatever movie you want. Um, which is funny because he's back, you know, he's back in Guardians. But this movie, uh, right from the start, it starts off with a Suicide Squad mission. But it's the it's the task force that is the expendable task force. <laughs> that is used to get killed. So the other task force can actually complete the task, which is. So that part of it was awesome. Like Amanda Waller doesn't give a shit about any of them. Right. Plus it's really funny to me that, um, Amanda put Harley and, uh, What's his name? Rick Flag. Rick Flag on the expendable on team. team. Right. Which means that Amanda Waller was just like, I'm fucking done with these two. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, and Harley, I mean, spoilers, but Harley's the only one that ends up coming out of that well. And then you see the weasel. Dude, the weasel didn't say one word. He just coughed up a hairball, but it was hilarious. Uh, and that whole scene of everybody dying, like, 
they made they made uh i don't even remember his character but um uh michael rooker's uh character they made him look so badass they focused on him the whole time and then he's just a deserter he runs away screaming and they blow up his head like Mm -hmm. uh i and i i don't know i just i loved everything about this movie i loved the tone and that was just the start of the movie like yeah this is a bloodbath all these like these heroes seem stupid and they are like they should all die like none of these heroes should live um and then we get to the main the main team. Uh, King Shark stole the fucking show. I, I like I haven't laughed in a movie uh, in a while like this. Like uh, I thought it was hilarious. I mean the R rating it worked. Um, I, I Sylvester Stallone's voice was amazing for King Shark. Uh, it's a li- it's way different than the King Shark that's in the Harley Quinn show, but I still enjoyed it a lot. Um. I was like very worried throughout the whole movie that he was going to die. Uh, I'm glad he didn't. I dude, I don't know. Uh, Idris Elba's character, Bloodsport was like, his suit was so badass. The way the guns came off it and stuff. Um, yeah. I don't like I Starro. I thought the, I mean, this is, we're seeing Starro on, you know, live action Starro on a big screen. And it was terrifying. Like, you know, you see it in you read it in comics. You're like, this is kind of like laughable. This is some stupid, you know, sci-fi shit. But the things like attaching to your face and then like screaming and talking through the people—that was really creepy, man. I thought that was insane. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'll say all in all, I really liked it. I think this is the first DC extended universe movie that is great. Mm-hmm. And I'll say great without an asterisk because I have Wonder Woman great with an asterisk but my only complaint is i think that the marketing campaign kind of ruined some things and it's i mean that's not james gunn's fault that's not the actor's fault that's just people trying to promote a movie's fault because some of the really great sequences like i was like oh that was in the trailer now that that was in all four trailers (laughs) right right but other than that like i love pretty much everything about it like the the story was great i like how he even went as far as to like justify why the suicide squad was there right and i know like this is digging real deep on stuff but like even the first uh suicide squad movie like you could have just called the justice league where this one i feel like with the twist at the end you couldn't have called the justice league to do that right right and Uh, i I want to say while you bring that up there, that was a jab at the last movie because there's a line in the movie where they say like, Oh, Amanda Waller's like, you guys don't have to fight it. Like pull out of there because it's, and now it's, you know, it's their problem. It's not the world's problem, which he like James Gunn clearly has it stated there that like, this isn't a world level threat right now. It's just one country. And, and that right there was like, this movie's perfect because it's, it's like a city threat. It's not like a world level threat. This is what a suicide like. If I was reading a Suicide Squad book, this would be the five or six issues, and then we're done. We go on to the next thing, you know. Yeah, and uh, I will say, <laughs> I was right about a lot of things going into this. Like mm-hmm. Harley didn't die. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, um, yeah. Well, that was a big gripe for me because everybody was like, he was told he could kill anyone. I'm like, no, he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he just he wasn't. But my other, although I think my original thesis of like 
that one team would be taken over by Starro, and that's why the new team had to come in was incorrect. Mm-hmm. I still was like, okay, the team we got was the team I expected. Right. Which, um, yeah. These aren't necessarily negative. I'm just, you know, I guess I'm bragging a little bit. <laughs> but I loved... Idris Elba was amazing. Mm-hmm. Ratcatcher 2 stole the movie, in my opinion. Yeah, I think she, I, I like her more than I like King Shark. Dude, I have no idea who that actress is, and she was amazing. Like she's fantastic. I, yeah, she was so good. I was like, I why do I care about this girl who grew up with rats? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh <laughs> I love Cena's character, and like I don't know if you've watched it a second time yet, but going mm-hmm. back and watching it, like his kind of heel turn makes actually fits into the plot. Cause like there's things that are said throughout the movie that's like, Oh yeah, fucking peacemaker's a piece of shit. And of course he was going to turn on the team the whole time. Right. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. Star was amazing. My only complaint about the movie is that, uh, they killed the best character, uh, in polka dot man. And uh, there was something else. Yeah. It'll come back to me, but yeah. I thought, um, and you saw the after credit scene. How yes. I like the I like the whole dynamic of like, Waller's doing some crazy shit and the people that work for her are kind of like not letting, like, she might be crazy and like, you know, the wall, but like the people that are working for her are like, uh, this lady's a little crazy. You know, I like how the the people for Waller were like questioning all the crazy batshit stuff that she was doing. Yeah, what was the woman's name that plays Amanda Waller? Uh oh my god, I just had her name. But she's got the just the perfect amount of like <sighs> perfect amount of bitch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for lack right. of a better word. Yeah, and perfect amount of like badass that yep. she plays an amazing Waller. Hmm. Yeah, and I yeah, and I remember what I was going to say. I I also there's moments throughout this where they took the they took the two characters that worked in the first movie, which is Waller and Flag, and they really did make them a big part of this movie and a big part of the plot. But the one other than Harley, which Harley's a tough nugget to crack because you're not going to kill Harley for very mm-hmm. obvious reasons. Yeah. But the one character other than her that made it over to this team, which was Captain Boomerang, mm-hmm. they very quickly were like, nope, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> and it felt to yeah. me like uh, like Gun being like, this isn't that movie. And we we're getting it as far away from it as we can. Other right. than the fact that we have these three main characters that we kind of have to have. Right. But right. those three characters all work, are the best parts of that first movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and i agree i um man the and i'm really excited for the peacemaker show i thought john cena's character was pretty hilarious the yeah. scene one of the best scenes was like the realization of peacemaker and Bloodsport. like they hired us but we're, we're literally the same person like why are we on this team where we do the same exact thing and then they have the scene where they're like trying to like compete killing dudes and uh, and then like they show up like where are all the rebels? <laughs> it's like uh, why aren't my men alerting me? It's like we just killed them. <laughs> which which that line was the first line of my second 
uh, watch through where I was like, that's the line that's hinting like he's here because he's going to turn on you all. Right. Like, yeah. like Bloodsport's yeah. there to lead the team so that there's a, a compass to go to. But um, Peacemaker's there because Waller knows she can control him. Yeah. And, th- and that's kind of how they've been playing him. Well, they've been playing him in the comics like he's against Waller. So, like, he's the one doing the shady shit behind Waller's back in the comics right now. So, um, I really liked his character, though. I thought, like, he had the sword and everything. That was pretty awesome. Uh, and then, like, the size of his gun when he puts the silencer on is just ridiculous. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, it was just a really enjoyable movie. Um and I hope they keep James Gunn on the Suicide Squad because I thought it was really enjoyable. Yeah, I hope yeah. he gets another shot at Suicide Squad. Like, I don't know yeah. if I want him. I'm sure if we dug deep, we could find something else I would want him on. Like mm-hmm. maybe maybe a booster, a blue and gold oh, movie or something. Yeah, but, yeah. But really, I would just want him to stick with Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. The only tough yeah. part there is that you're probably going to have to establish new characters every time around. I mean, there's, hey, if we're, we're the two people that know it, there's a lot of shitty villains out there, Chris. Yeah, I mean, l- listen, James, Codpiece is still out there. We still- Codpiece is still there. <laughs> Dude, what about Arms Fall Off Man, where uh, he just starts, like, slapping, like, everybody thought it would be this epic moment, and he just, like, starts slapping the guys in the face. <laughs> I was like, what is that? <laughs> Honestly, my... Uh, I think my favorite scene in the whole movie was uh, when Harley escapes uh, custody and she like, so she mm-hmm. kills the guy. And then I, I mean the, the like shit going on behind her, as she's shooting people was a little weird. I thought you could have maybe yeah. done without that, but it didn't take me out of it. But then just afterwards when like the team is coming to save Harley and they've mm-hmm. got this plan. She comes on. I was like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. <laughs> and then she right, starts. Like she's... And they're like, yeah, we're, we came here to save you. And she starts crying. She's like, well, I can go back in. I was like. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was it was good shit. I will say this. I enjoyed Harley Quinn in that movie. And I'm not. You know me. I'm not a huge Harley Quinn fan. So. Yeah. It's. Um, I, it was another moment where I thought about it because I, I yeah. knew you were going to feel the same way I was. It's like, yeah, the turn, the Harley Quinn spin around of 2021 yeah. for us. Yeah, it's been wild. I've watched a cartoon with her. You know, I, I really liked her in Birds of Prey. Like we're, we're both reading the comic series. Like, it's, yeah, yeah, it's I can't believe it. It's happening, though. Um, it's proof to me that any character could be good if you just get the right. I mean, yep. this is even a, a, or a situation of the right multiple people to push the character in the right direction. Right, right, exactly. Um, all right, well, with that, let's hop over to this awesome interview we have with uh, Mr. Justin Gray, and we'll see everybody on the other side. All right, everybody, we have yet another very special guest for you this week. Uh, everybody, welcome to the show, the great and powerful. Justin Gray. <laughs> Neither of those things. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was gonna say like gunslinger, Justin Gray, or something like. But uh, yeah, I guess that works too, right? We're Welcome to, to show. Have to all of this now. <laughs> I was hoping he'd show up with like a at least like a cowboy hat on or something, but no. Nah, I know, right? Yeah. 
But uh, welcome, and you know, you're, it's your first time on the show, so you probably have done this quite a bit. But uh, we'd like to hear your origin story before we talk comics with you. So, um, how did it happen for you? And were you always a comics fan? Let's start there, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't remember exactly who put the first comic in my hand or how it ended up there, and I think it was probably Hot Stuff and Casper leading up to Spider Man mm-hmm. at some point somehow. Um, and then I became enamored with Spider-Man and, and everything just sort of extrapolated from there. I went through probably all the stages that you go through, yep. um, as a little kid reading comics and I read anything. And then, uh, then I started getting a little more picky about things I liked that spoke to me. And, um, <clears throat> I had that going for quite a while and, and into middle school, I was, I was trying to play superheroes with, with people that just didn't. You know, they, they would humor me for like five minutes and then be like, this kid's a nerd. Let's just pick on him. Um, so then I went through that whole stage. And by the time I got to high school, I was hiding my comics. Mm-hmm. Many potential girlfriends I had. I remember a girlfriend pulled open a drawer in my bedroom. She was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> you found them. Oh, no. <laughs> my great <laughs> shame. Yeah. <laughs> like all the things to be ashamed of in life. Right. Like, yeah. Teenage girl finding comics in your room. It's like, yeah. probably, probably not the problem anymore. Um <laughs> I, I went to college and I kind of fell out of the comic book thing for a while. And then I got back into it after that. And um, I sort of harbored the idea in the back of my head that I wanted to, to write comics and I wanted to do the cliche thing. I wanted to do my version of Spider-Man, my version of X-Men or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, Batman, Flash and so on. And um, I, it wasn't happening. I was pitching and getting rejected like crazy, not just comics, but all kinds of things, literary magazines, poetry magazines, anyone that would read anything I wrote down. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just get, re- you know, rejection after I would have, um, like shoe boxes full of rejection letters from publishers, mm-hmm. both big and small, or even just like people who use Xerox machines. And, um, I would annually, I would just burn the box and be like, okay, you know, this, this is my new year's resolution is this year it's going to happen. And that went on for quite a while. And, um, I finally decided after living in New York and moving across country a couple of times, I decided that I was going to just move back to the East coast and make a serious go of it. And of course I ended up working in restaurants and not getting anywhere near comics mm-hmm. until uh, the internet and the internet came along and I started reaching out to people and I ended up talking to Jimmy Palmiotti and Joe Posada um, during their event days, right when they took over Marvel nights Wow. And um, I kind of hounded them for a little bit. And I had still been working in restaurants. And I don't know if you've ever worked in a restaurant, but nobody likes to work 10 to 12 hour days. Um, uh, and so for sure. one weekend I just, I, I said I had enough and I jumped in my truck and I drove from New York to Chicago without a hotel room. I found a hotel and I broke out what's called a phone book. I don't know if anybody knows what that is anymore. <laughs> it's an ancient relic of the past, but yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> It was this huge tome of numbers. And yeah. <laughs> um, I called every every hotel around the convention center until I got plugged into Joe Casada. And I said, hey, I'm here. And they said, well, just come out and hang out with us for the weekend. And then about a month and a half later, I was interning at Marvel Nights. Wow. At Marvel at the rooftop um, where they were set up at the top of the building. Wow. That is so you, – you just took a shot and you drove down. I did. I I, yeah. I I had more balls than brains, I think, for most of that <laughs> period. If it's okay awesome. for me to say that, I don't. I don't yeah. Know. Oh yeah, that's fine. I yeah. Yeah. Just you guys or whatever. No, no, no. We're fine. Um, yeah. So that's what happened. I just said, you know, I I I have this switch in my brain, which is I attribute to some of my success and some of my torture, is that I just say, 
the hell with it. I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether I pass or fail is, is regardless. It, it's, you know, it's not as important as me just saying I'm going to do it and knowing that right. I did it. Right. Um, so when you're at uh, Marvel Knights, is this where you first start working with Jimmy? Um, this is where I was getting a lot of Ranch 1 and doing Xerox copies of comics and sort of helping Nancy Dekezian, uh work on editorial with really no clue. I, I really just mm-hmm. wanted to write comics. I didn't understand. I was very naive that it was a business. I thought I was going to walk in there and it was going to be a bullpen of all my heroes standing around joking right. and, yeah, and having yeah. a good time. And then yeah. kind of comics would just appear out of that. Right. And I very quickly learned it's a business, just like any other business. It's an office building with office workers. And, and um, I, I think it was like the first or second day that I was kind of wandering around starry eyed and I had gone out to get lunch for people and it was McDonald's or something. And I, I was walking through the thing and Chris Claremont went, Oh, French fries. And just like grabbed the whole handful of my French fries and started eating them. And I was like, all right, well, okay. Uh, okay that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a germaphobe, but come on, man. Yeah. Um, like, no, I love right. Chris. I, I, that's like one of my favorite things. Like I would never just grab someone's food, but I was like, all right, whatever. It's Chris. Yeah, it's Chris. Yeah. What a, what a, uh, that's, that's amazing. And, and from that though, you, I mean, you wrote, you, I mean, you've written so much stuff, but, and it's mostly, it ended up being more DC than Marvel, right? Yeah, that's, um, so, you never know where life from? is going to take you. It's yeah. strange for sure. So how, how did that transition happen? You just, you just, changed after a while or um well no it was just it was just events that took you know um i'm very much the kind of person that thinks that when you're presented with an opportunity you have to take the opportunity even though Mm -hmm. it may not make sense to you or whatever it is may not be how you envision things because life for me has rarely gone as i envisioned it Um, i've made many plans and never seen those plans come to fruition but seen parallel plans like Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I grew up as a Marvel kid. I absolutely every, I consumed everything Marvel. Not everything, but I had my little niche thing. I liked my Fantastic Four, my X-Men, my Spider-Man, Daredevil. Um, you know, then there's other things that I kind of liked later or things that I appreciate movie form um, that I wasn't really a big comic fan of. But I, I found out working in office is not my thing. I kind of thought it wasn't because I had always worked like blue collar jobs and restaurant service industry jobs where like there's no place for you to hide. Mm-hmm. Like when you work on the line at a restaurant, you're doing 700 dinners a night. Like if you're the weakest link, everyone knows it. Right. Um, right. When you're in a, when you're in a corporate environment, there's this sort of like piranha tank of behaviors that I just, my brain doesn't work that way. I'm like, if I see something, I say something and most people don't want you to do that. So um, I ended up leaving Marvel and going back to restaurants. Um, and I was, I remember I was sitting in a Friday's one night having a meal with friends and Jimmy called and he said, listen, I'm going to do this thing for Wildstorm. They want us to pitch a couple of things. Do you want to come and write this book with me? And I said, yeah, I said, of course, you know, obviously whatever. Cause we had stayed in touch after I left. Right. And um, we had a, a solid friendship that had nothing to do with, with comics. You know, I wasn't, I've never been the kind of person who like geeks out over stars or famous people or anything. Right. Um, so I think there was an understanding that I really wanted to work, you know, and, and I'm not really that interested in fame either. So it was kind of like, just give me the work and I'm happy. Right. And that's what happened. We did 21 down for Wildstorm when they relaunched mm-hmm. uh, Gen 13 and a couple other books. And then we did the resistance with them as well. Yep. Uh, 
you know, one was 12 issues, one was eight issues. And, and, um, that was, a, that was an interesting thing. I had never done indie comics outside of like trying to get somebody to draw a comic. Right. right. Yeah. So it was interesting to go right from nothing to working at Wildstorm DC and, um, and I'm and I, somewhere in there mixed in there. I think the first thing I had done with Jimmy and done professionally was a book for Brian Polito called Chastity Reimagined. And, um, I just suddenly found myself working in comics and uh, it was an interesting transition period because I was still making all the dumb mistakes and saying the wrong things at social mm-hmm. gatherings and yeah. wanting to talk about work when everybody else just wanted to drink and right, whatever. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you didn't, that takes time to learn all those things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah. if you're already socially awkward, it's not, right. it's not right. that easy to just like be suddenly thrust into this situation. Yeah. Uh, right. I could have handled it better. But. Yeah. And was, was Jimmy somebody that you immediately connected with? Yeah, I mean, I did. I connected with Jimmy and Joe, and then um, I stayed uh, more, like, casually in touch with Joe and more, like, um, more frequently in touch with Jimmy. Um, just kind of just calling it to you know, BS about stuff or whatever. And um, so he just immediately said, you know, do you want to try this? And I think it was a testing process because, it's you know, it's not easy just to work with another person creatively. You can sometimes go really well or sometimes it's just a bitch fest all the time. You're like mm-hmm. at each other and, uh, you know, I'm yeah. not an argumentative person. Yeah. So regardless of uh, how honest I am, I don't really want to fight with anybody about stuff. I can just move on from it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't want this to seem like I want to learn more about Jimmy through you. But when I think of Justin Gray, I think of Jimmy and Justin. Right. Yeah. And, and it's just, and I was it looking through works. your, your uh, bibliography earlier, and it, it makes sense because I, a lot of what you guys did throughout the years was together. So mm-hmm. very interested in that uh, that chemistry of two people doing something together for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's the, the industry is and it continues to be an interesting place. Um, you know, there was a lot of times people didn't want to take a chance on me solo. Um, there's a lot of that sort. I mean, it's in, it's the entertainment industry, and people want bankable, you know, mm-hmm. reliability. They want it's not necessarily reliability, but they want to know there's a certain measure of expectation. Um, and I always felt like because I, I and like I said, I I say things um, honestly, and sometimes people don't want to hear that. So if I have a problem with something, I say I have a problem with something, thinking that okay, let's just address the problem. But then it becomes a convoluted thing where sometimes people's feelings get hurt, which is not my intention. My intention is to do the best job possible. And, you know, if something doesn't make sense to me, I say, well, why doesn't, you know. So I feel like maybe at some, and at some points I know that there was abrasion. People were misinterpreting the way that I was talking. And so at one point I confronted a situation where somebody was like, oh, well, you're, you have this attitude. And I was like, I really don't. Like, if somebody <laughs> is telling you I have an attitude, I would love to talk to them because I really don't take myself that seriously. I mean, I want, I want to do a good job. I want that to be reflected in the work, but I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not a prima donna and I'm not a tyrant. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, how could mm-hmm. I be and work with someone else? And of course, right. you know. exactly. Um, so, I mean, you get your exposure to like Wildstorm within DC and that you probably have some like constraints that you have to write in oh, yeah. between for those stories, right? Like there's things you can do, there's things you can't do. And then is that where like, when does Jonah Hex come into play where you take that over, you know, you take that character over 70 issues, which was like a, a pretty big feat in itself. Right. I mean, there's, there's quite a bit of Jonah Hex. So like, when did that come into play? Um, 
I think we were doing Hawkman mm-hmm. and uh, we were trying to, you know, I mean, you want to get on bigger books. You want for a, a number of reasons, um, not just, not just for your own creativity, but you know, there's financial reasons and, and everything else. So mm-hmm. we were always kind of like, how do we get on bigger books? And, you know, for whatever reason we ended up being on sort of niche books or CPR books um, or, you know, keep an IP alive books. But when uh, Jimmy said, you know, I, I think there was something where he was talking to Dan and Jimmy said, well, I really would like to do Jonah Hex. Mm-hmm. And um, he came to me and said, you know, they're going to let us pitch this. And I said, okay. I said, I love Westerns, but I like love a specific kind of Western uh, over other. Spe- I, you know, I don't like odors. I don't like the sort of heavily drawn out morality play of it. I like spaghetti Westerns. I like European spaghetti Westerns mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, Americans in those movies as well. So the idea was to look at Jonah Hex as a character and try some different things creatively. Um, I think there was a lot of narration that we were doing between 21 Down and Hawkman, and there was a lot of internal monologue. And I felt kind of stifled by that. So the idea that we were playing around with was that you don't know what's going on in his head. You only see what he does. Mm -hmm. And then you see how other people react to him. So creatively, that was interesting. And then we were still in that long six issue arc thing. And Stephen Wacker, the editor at the time suggested that, no, no, let's do one and done. Let's go old school. Let's do one issue, two issue things. And I kind of had a panic attack because I was like, wait, you've been grooming me on this thing. And before this, I was trying to write (laughs) novels. And now you're like, I have 22, 24 pages to tell a complete story and every month. And, um, but within, Within the scripting of the first issue, um, for me, I was like, why have I been doing it the other way? It's so, it's just, there's a lot of fat on the animal when you do it like that. And I just felt like Mm -hmm. this was like, we have no choice but to make this work. This is probably going to be canceled. It's Mm -hmm. a cowboy book. They're doing all the stuff, revamping their entire superhero universe, um, which we thought it was going to be a detriment. And it actually turned out to be a positive because nobody really cared what we were doing. So we were left alone and editors were just kind of like, what are we going to do? And when you do one and dones or two and dones, you can write six artists worth of material. So that's how that started happening. All of a sudden we were like, well, we have more scripts than we have artists working. And we started just getting artists and we were saying, you know, Jimmy and I would get on the phone and be like, who do you want to work with? And be like, this guy. Okay, well, let's see if we can get this person to work on it. <laughs> And yeah. they reach out and they'd be like, oh, they're a huge Jonah Hex fan. Or, oh, they want to do Westerns. Or, oh, they don't want to do it because they won't draw horses. And <laughs> which is That's awesome. It's a pretty yeah. prevalent thing, not wanting yeah. to draw horses. Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, because like a horse doesn't usually show up in a superhero book that often. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> so when they do that big revamp and they do New 52 and you, you get the word like, we're doing Jonah still, but we're going to call it All-Star Western. And well, first, is it your guys' idea to be like, let's tie a little bit more in with the the DC universe, or was that kind of upper management saying, "Hey, put them in Gotham"? <laughs> um, let's see. Well, after we did the first run, I was kind of like, I was always anticipating the day when it ended. Yeah. Um, like we got through one year, and I was like, 
where there's another year and, and then there's another year, but all the time in the back of my head was like, when is the shoe going to drop? Mm-hmm. So we definitely had a very firm understanding of where we wanted to walk off the stage with that book. And then yes, DC uh, said they want to do all-star. They're going to keep doing Jonah Hex, but it's going to be all-star Western. And my immediate reaction was, I don't want to do that. Um, and they said, you know, he's, it can be set in Gotham in the same time zone. And I'm like, yeah, that appeals to me. I, I like that. But I'm torn because this was a thing and it was really special to me. Right. And I don't, and I, and just the fact that we got to work with all these artists and we had so much freedom. We went through so many editors because they would just, editors would love to work on the book because they didn't have to do anything. We were, right, right. you know, I mean, we were doing, we were saying we wanted to work with this person. We wanted to work with this colorist and we had the same colorist and letter through huge chunks of the book as we went through it. And, um, so by the time we finished with the Jeff Lemire issue and they said that I was kind of really torn about it. Um, because one thing, it's a job too. You want the work. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. I mean, you have a job. Um, it was like, okay, so what can we do? And then it was coming up against what we couldn't do more than what we could do. So the confines were, it was now a buddy comic. It was no Amadeus Arkham and Jonah Hex who were polar opposites and they would have to deal with things that were happening in Gotham and it couldn't be too much like the alienist and it couldn't be too much of like a Batman thing. And, and um, we had hoped at certain times to do things that were at a larger scale in the Western elements of it. Like I was dying the whole time to do an Amazon. Like I wanted there to be an Amazon mm-hmm. happening somewhere within that time frame. It would be subdued. It wouldn't be, you know, flying and, and, but it would be, you would know, you know, there would be this seven foot tall, gorgeous woman that would walk in and whoop everyone's ass in some situation. Everyone would be like, where did this person come from? Right. Um, and just sort of tying in some of the elements in the back history. Um, I feel like we did the best we could with, with the box we were put in against, the, you know, a revamped entire line of superhero comics where this is the only Western. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, the amount of artists that you got to work on the uh, the first Jonah Hex series was just like amazing, and and like even Darwin Cook came in for an issue too, right? I, I think I remember. Yeah, that. he did. He did a couple issues. Yeah, yeah. Was was that just something where he just came in and said, "I want to do a couple of these," or you guys reached out to him, or? Well, we were friends, so oh, we okay. Would talk. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were friends, so mm-hmm. we would hang out and we would say. You know, will you do one? Yeah. And you're like, all right, I'll do one. And I was like, oh, I want to write <laughs> one for Darwin. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I wanted it to be. And of course, he's like, why is it in the snow? Why is there snow? I'm like, it's Canada. That's all it does up there is snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Exactly. That he was so <laughs> mad at me. Um, and I said, That's no, I wanted to do like an R-rated version of a boy's life magazine from like the 1950s, where it was mm-hmm. like, let's go on an adventure with Timmy, you know, right. and his whole family's murdered by wolves instead of yeah, it, yeah. like, how do we start a fire in an igloo? That's amazing. Um, so of uh, course, you know, he did it. He did that, and he did a great job. Obviously, everything yeah. touched turned to gold. Um, so then it was like, if there was important stories, there were certain people we knew we wanted to tell those important stories with. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that Hex did fifty, which I don't, I don't think you can see that this behind me is uh, one of the pages that he did. From oh, okay, 50. that's amazing. Um, yeah, so it was it was it was us hanging out. I met Darwin in two thousand four at San Diego Comic Con while he was still working on New Frontier, and he was mm-hmm. carrying around a giant stack of 
pages from that at wow. the convention with him. Um, wow. That's, that's amazing. And that's, that's kind of cool too, right? You can, you were kind of molding the story to fit an uh, artist too. Like if like Fiona Staples or like you said, Jeff Lemire, someone like that, you, if you knew they were coming in, you could kind of like tweak the story to be like, this would be cool for them to draw. Well, we had been talking to Jeff for a while too. Jeff was yeah. Jeff showed a great interest in doing one of the issues. Uh, obviously when we contact someone like Eduardo Riso, Riso um, yep. you know, uh, Jordy Brunet, obviously it was just kind of like, we'll just let Jordy do Jordy. We'll let, you know, Tony do Tony. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it slowly became less about, you know, it was like this person is going to come on the book, so let's give them the story. J.H. Williams uh, did a great story because uh, we knew that J.H. was going to draw things into it that we weren't even thinking about. Right, um, right. So like sort of teeing up elements for him to, to be an artist. I mean, that was always the main thing, and that's what I've carried over um, now that I'm just doing my own thing, is that I want the artist to really enjoy what they're doing and come out and shine. And it just makes everything so much better. It's not a grind. It's not like they're standing there posing a wooden figure going, oh, how do I figure out how to do this fight scene? They want to do it. Um, so that was, a, I don't know that that'll ever be a luxury that people will be able to do at Marvel and DC again. I don't know that they'll just be able to cherry pick the people they want to work with and just let them run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel really, really lucky to have ever been in that position. That's so cool. And I mean, you mentioned your, uh, you know, create our own stuff, stories that you're telling now. So let's let's jump into those a little bit um, away from the, you know, the big two. But uh, the first one I want to talk about is Standstill because that's that's a horror book. And I'm I'm always big into horror books. Um, can you give us the rundown on that? What is that book? Um, it, it's a combination of a bunch of different things from my own life and personal experiences. Like I've always had this phobia of being trapped in my body. And not mm-hmm. being able to do anything, and like you're just basically at the mercy of whatever is around you. Yeah. Um, and then that when I had terrifying, yeah, it's it like night terrors. <laughs> or something. Yeah. It's actually terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I didn't actually until back in 2019 when I had heart surgery, I had actually physically experienced that finally outside of my imagination. And it is just as terrifying as I oh, thought God. it would be to be completely yeah. at the mercy of people, right? Um, trapped inside your body. Yeah. Um, so the idea was that all of a sudden, most of the population had that problem. They just stopped moving. They were alive, mm-hmm. and but they couldn't do anything. And they were slowly dying of multiple reasons, whether it was accidents or just uh, starving to death or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I wanted to do a story about, because the things that we don't see in end of the world stories, the fact that the power, the, the things that everyone's alive taken care of when they're not there to do that you're going to have a mess and then you have global warming you have these fires that people are desperately trying to fight in california and you have these floods in europe and with no one around to do anything about those things it's going to be tough to be mm-hmm. survivors and i thought right. that, that was an interesting sort of challenge for myself to take the modern world and just throw us back into stone age yeah. with the remnants of the modern world around us and see you know what kinds of people so I had this character in mind. He was a, a combat medic and a, a AMT. And essentially he, it's the night before this event happens, he and his fiance get engaged and he wakes up and he's fine and she's not moving. And so oh, he uses all of his medical skills to keep her alive, but he doesn't really know why. And if there's any end game, because there's not enough people left even to make an understanding of what happened. Like I, I didn't want to explain all that stuff because you can usually say alien invasion, Viral right. infection, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want to spend time doing that as the mystery. I want it to be about people and then the other stuff will sort itself out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's when I started that in, I started writing in 2016. We did one issue in 2017, uh, two issues in, in 2017. Um, and then the artist had uh, some issues going on that were just, you know, there were very important life issues that he had to deal with and the book got shelved um, up until last year when uh, I decided that um, I was going to ask an artist that I had just previously worked with on one of the Spicy Pulp books to, to come in and say, you know, let's do this together and let's see if we can bring this book back to where it was because I have so much material and um, and it's worked out. I mean, he's just really taken to the book and, and he's very excited every time he gets, I don't let him read any scripts ahead of time. So he finishes one and he gets a new one. So he has no idea. So he'll email me and he'll be like, why did you just do this to these characters? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a terrible person. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting way of doing it. <laughs> um, so yeah, at what point do you start to realize like I could do stuff through Kickstarter? Is it through your friendship with Jimmy and what they're doing over there? Or was it something before that? Um, no, with Jimmy, we started doing Kickstarter. He did Queen Crab as his first ever Kickstarter, and then we started doing Kickstarters together. And I don't remember the, I don't remember the chron- chronological order of them. I know we did Retrovirus, we did Tattered Man, we did Hype and Abaddon, and um, Weapon of God and Denver. And um, I, I was like, you know, I, I kind of I need to do some things for myself. I need to, you know, it's it's easy to walk into a room with Jimmy and people go, oh, okay, we know what's going on here. And, you know, there's certain expectation um, that I wanted to take some time and, and just feel like I did something on my own. And um, that's really what I've been doing for the last six years, um, even though we still work on stuff and, we, you know, we talk uh, almost weekly. We, um, you know, we, he has his things he's, he's doing and I have my things I'm doing and then some things we do together. But that's what I wanted to do. and. You know, it's a learning experience just to start doing Kickstarters um, that, you know, fortunately I had some experience with them. It wasn't a complete steep learning curve, but that's when I knew I, I was like, I just want to stand on the merit of the books and not the marketing department and not the character purchase. Mm-hmm. And, um, and plus I just needed to do stuff that was creative to me. I felt like I was getting, I was getting stagnant for a while there. I felt like I wasn't doing anything. In fact, I was making fun of a film recently on social media and mm-hmm. um ted naif i think that's how you say his last name sorry ted and he was like oh yeah yeah you're making fun of this oh do you remember doing that yourself and i was like wait what and then he's like oh yeah we worked on this comic together you did exactly the same thing and i was like oh man i'm like it hurts but i'm glad he pointed it out because right. i and he's and we deconstructed why that happened mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i was like it's easy for that to happen Right. Because you're hired to do a job and you have, you know, you have the toys to play with and they say we need X, Y, and Z to happen. Right. And then there's only so many directions you can go in without being able to change things. Right. But of course, you have to shoehorn concepts into concepts mm-hmm. just to tell mm-hmm. a story that, that to make it all work in some way. Um, so, yeah. And do you feel that through those like even though you're aware that those things happen in other mediums or even in your own medium and you can see it, sometimes you have to make the mistake yourself to learn. Oh yeah. yeah. But sometimes you, you, you know, like you have a little bit of ego that creeps in there and says, no, I'm going to do it right. And 
sometimes there's no right way to do the wrong thing. Like there's no way of fixing it. It just is what it is. And, um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a cheap plot ploy or it's a, you know, just a, a crutch or something that you can lean on. Um, which I've been trying to get away from. I've been trying to get away from the idea of, of looking at comics where I'm, I, you know, I would go through comics and I would get it's 20 some odd pages and it would take 15 pages for something to happen, happen. And, and then that would be the one incident that happened in the comic. And I started looking at things and being like, I want more things to happen in the comic. I want the comics to be bigger. And, um, so all those things have informed, you know, where I've been at lately. Mm -hmm. So Um, going back to Kickstarter, um, the main reason you're here is to promote some of the stuff you're doing there. So I know coming up here soon, you're doing a new issue of spicy pulp. So what is that series? That is, um, a throwback comic. It is a love letter to sort of, uh, the 1970s, 1980s, American and European comics where they were for adults. They would just do crazy stuff. And, there wasn't any sort of restrictions on it with heavy metal and the things that uh, Minara was doing and the Italians were doing and then the stuff that Mobius was doing, the sci-fi fantasy, um, epic comics, and things like Savage Sword of Conan before. I mean, there's, there's, there's a time period of Savage Sword of Conan where all the women are topless, and then there's the Marvel version where all the women have tops drawn back on, mm-hmm. and there's just sort of machismo stuff that happens in them that you can't really get away with. And I thought I just I want to do fun escapist comics. There's no motivation to it. I'm not trying to sell a Netflix show. I'm not trying to, to stand on the world stage and change everyone's lives or make some kind of political statement. I just wanted you to open up a book, go somewhere else for however long it takes to read the book, and enjoy it. And that's um, that's what Spicy Pulp is. It's, it has a main character that's 30 pages of story and the story is broken into two parts so you have 30 pages of main story then you have backup short stories and then the very next issue concludes that first story and so on and so forth so a new characters introduced for instance the first two issues features a character called lady redbeard who starts out as a 17th century pirate fighting with the english and gets lost in the bermuda triangle and ends up on a time traveling reality bending trip where she and her crew are just trying to stay alive and and they inherit this, um, it's a machine god that can function as an engine. So it gets into a 17th century British naval ship and then allows them to travel wherever they want to go or randomly. Um, so they encounter a floating city full of these women who can transform into something else and they have to figure out a way to escape that. And then they've been running around in space, getting in trouble and pissing off the emperor of known space. So they have to sort of get away from him and then he has them thrown into prison. So they're in space prison all of a sudden and there are all these really quirky characters. They'll find an anime robot for no reason other than it just happened to be in a pile of junk <laughs> on a spaceship somewhere and that'll Amazing. become a character in the crew. Um, Lady Redbeard gets thrown into prison and she's assigned a personal zeitgeist unit which is meant to rehabilitate her and it's this annoying little Pixar type character and she hates it. And she's like flushing its head in the toilet. She's like, I hate this thing. I'm not going to be, re- I want to get out of here. Why do you have me in prison? And he's like, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. You got to turn your attitude around. And so she's dealing with this thing and, and there's a prison riot and everyone's trying to kill her. And the emperor of space is, 
is trying everything he can to get rid of her because there's a plot point in there. And um, it's just zany fun for the sake of fun for escapist things that, that you know, like when I used to watch um, Saturday afternoon movies with Sinbad and whatever, I didn't really care. I just wanted him to keep going on adventures. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what that book is all about. And there's a second character called the Road Witch, who is based on the idea of whenever you see that there's someone has left a cross and flowers and memorial stuff on the side of the road where someone's perished, the idea was you can go to one of these spots and summon the road witch to avenge what has happened to someone. Oh, and that's she's awesome. bound by magic and a curse to go and do that. But she also happens to be a 300 some odd year old lesbian who isn't really happy about sharing her brain with a witch. And, um, <laughs> so that's awesome. It, it's crazy fun stuff that I just, you know, it's, it, it's stuff I could never do. Like if mm -hmm. I, I was constantly pitching things. We were at a, a terrific con, and somebody asked something at the panel and I didn't, I didn't get to elaborate on it. But at one point, Jimmy and I were going to do a doll man comic. And I, my idea was that doll man was essentially this really weird character who could possess dolls and toys mm -hmm. and then would use these things to lash out. And I remember Dan DiDio going, no, we cannot have a teddy bear killing a pedophile in the doll man comic. Why and not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to do a little dude running around like he's right. powers, he's shrunken, you know? Like, we right, have fucking right. people, that's fine. Yeah. But I was like, what if he did all these crazy things and, like, you have these toys creeping around and you know, yeah. it's a little puppet master, it's a little Chucky, but as a hero. Right. Um, but no, they were like, no, 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 we're not doing that. Oh, man, that would have been cool. I would have read that. Yeah. You yeah. keep saying a key word that has been something I've been harping on for a while now that we don't have enough of. Okay. And that's fun. <laughs> yeah. We don't have enough fun in comics. That's for sure. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that comics, a certain demographic of comics, a chunk of them, they shouldn't all be fun, but I mean. Yeah. Right, right. I think there's room for everything. But like I was talking about with a friend where I really miss, I don't know if you read the series or not, but I hate Fairyland. Mm -hmm. And when that book came out, there was this period of like books that were just like fun, wacky. They didn't have like, they didn't have to be, batman dark and they didn't have to be this book political statement they were just fun right weird comics and like yeah i, I am in search of that every day since reading that series <laughs> i completely understand uh, I mean, um and yeah, I, I don't like those things i do love right. those books too oh yeah yeah i mean you know um, wants to read the same thing all the time with i mean when the character's when it doesn't matter what character is in that story, then it doesn't, it's not fun either way, but it's like, right. not every right. character. I remember at one point before we started doing power girl, um, the, the thing was that she should be dark and brooding and she's lost her world and she's from another universe. And my whole thing was like, like she's like tall, gorgeous, fit, rich, and smart. I'm like, no one's going to feel sympathy for her walking around. Right. Going, oh, man, it sucks. Oh, poor me. Oh. Right. <laughs> so for him and, and they reluctantly went with it, and it did really yeah. well. And it uh, carried over yeah. later into other things that, you know, the, like Supergirl show seemed to be a lot of fun when it started. And yep. Um, and, and fun comics that we want to talk about, too, is something you, you brought up. Uh, Billy the Kit. Um you gave us the quick little synopsis of that, and I, I'm excited to read it. So what what is Billy the Kit? I wanted to do another Western, but I didn't want to feel like I was doing Jonah Hex light or my version of Jonah Hex. So I had this idea in my head that I wanted to do like a late night animation with the kind of like 
that with not exactly the humor of Rick and Morty, but that audience, except okay. I wanted it to be a gunslinging rabbit and I wanted him to be cursing all the time. I wanted it to be super violent and I wanted him to hunt and kill tornado gods. And okay. I couldn't figure out everything with that, but I was like, there's a visual in there. Um, and it started piecing together. And the idea was that his entire family, and I don't mean mom, dad, and a couple siblings. I mean like everyone in his rabbit family wiped out entirely by a tornado God. And he is this sort of, he's the smallest rabbit in the whole family. He's sickly all the time. You know, that his uncles are like, how is he still alive? And you know, his dad's a preacher and he's like, the Lord wants him. I don't know why the Lord won't take him. And he's just, I want to be strong. And they have this whole family gathering and they won't let him come to the family gathering because he's too sick. So he stays in the ground and when he wakes up, he suddenly isn't sick anymore and he's calling out everyone's name. He's like, I feel better. Where is everyone? And he pokes up out of the ground and it's flat and everyone's just ripped to pieces and they're all gone. And so after he buries every single member of his family, he collapses and he thinks, you know, let, you know, God, you can take me too. I don't want to be here without you. Like, well, family's gone. Yeah. And uh, he gets woken up by a goat that's kicking him. And he's like, this, you alive? You alive? Yeah. Yeah. And he is alive. And, um, it starts to tell the story of how Billy the Kit goes on his adventure of how he's going to eventually hunt down and kill the tornado god that wiped out his family. And along Amazing. the way, the tornado god is coming back into power. All these uh, these creatures, these vampires and werewolves and all these witches and stuff were wiped out during a mm -hmm. great war. Um, and there's rabbits who are called sunslingers, which is they can harness the power of Promethean fire in their guns. And so they fought back the evil and they're almost gone. You want to say like Jedi, but it can be, you know, that kind of mythology. And Billy slowly starts to discover that he might have that ability. And, but he has no one to train him. And there's a lot of humor in it. There's a lot of Kung Fu homages oh, in it. Sold. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. And, was, and um, Blue Juice picked it up right in the middle of our, we did a Kickstarter campaign for all five issues. And, um, Barry McLean Jr. is the artist, and Slamet Mugiono is the colorist, and we had been working on this book. We started, we kickstarted issue one, and people liked it, but it was like, I'm not going to kickstart 22 pages here and there. So we just hunkered down, and we got to work on doing the whole book, at least five issues of, of a miniseries, because it originally started as a pilot. And um, halfway through the, uh, the, I'm sorry, the campaign, we got... Uh, contacted by blue juice and they said we love this we want to publish it um awesome. so we you know worked out a deal with them and they're the first issue is going to be in stores in october i think you can still pre-order it now and yes. uh, there's five issues so it's going to run the five issues and um it's going to be interesting to see because i was like no one's going to ever read this book i'm like it's it's talking animals it's a gunslinging rabbit um I mean, it's a gorgeous looking book, but I was yeah, kind of like, yeah. you know, it is what it is. It's a talking animal comic. I'm having fun. It's something that I have never been able to do. And no one would, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't sell it to image or anyone else. They wouldn't, no one's going to publish that. Right. Um, but you know, blue juice wanted to do it and they ran with it. And uh, I've, I've got copies of the first, uh, the first blue juice issue. Oh man. Uh, everything just came wow. uh, yesterday. Yeah, that cover art is amazing. You yeah, that like, cover's awesome. Yeah, you know, like I couldn't vision like a you know ra gunslinging rabbit, but that thing looks so badass. <laughs> the it cover that, that's like yeah, Barry did a great job. Uh, there's, yeah, there's no there's no two ways about it. It's just um, 
I mean, it's it's an oversized issue because it also contains the the eight page trailer that that he and I did before we even thought about doing any more books of it, and it's got character designs and stuff in it. So, um, yeah, so that's that's uh, you can wow. see it. That's so cool. It's really cool. So yeah. let's assume the the book surpasses its sale, what you need for sales and everything. It's a success. People love it. Do you have more for this world, or is this kind of just five issues and you're you're out? No, I mean it. it, it I didn't think we'd get to this point. So, the, but there's no. Um, it kind of writes itself, to be honest with you. Um, it's just the sort of thing because I know the end goal is to have the showdown between. Billy and the thing that killed his family. Um, but there's also a whole world there and uh, was using, and the book does run in a sort of a Jonah Hex kind of format where it's one and two issues. Um, you could just pick up randomly as well as reading it all together as a thing. And um, I wanted to introduce some other characters and, and there's other ways to go with, I see it as something that you can do anything because the nature of it is it's a supernatural Western with talking animals. So you, you don't, you could do things in that book that, um, that I've already have tons of notes for that are creatively interesting to write. So they're, they're it's not something where it'd be a, a drain on, uh, you know, to sit down and go, Oh, how am I going to do any more issues of this? It's more like if people really like it, then it's definitely going to be worth doing more of it. And there is more of it to be done. So. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely can't wait for that. So you said October, we can expect prints? Yeah, there sh it should be in stores in October. Okay, um, great. I don't know what's um, yeah. And have you uh, nailed down a date for Spicy Pulp issue six to hit, hit Kickstarter? I am hoping um, to get it in at the end of the month, but it uh, it all depends on, because I can't, I, I don't feel morally right about launching this Kickstarter until I know the bulk of Standstill is out there. So I'm mm -hmm. still fulfilling Standstill. I, I, I put out about 120 books so far, or 120 packages, I should say. It's a lot more books than that because there were six issues. Um, but I feel like, you know, if the if the printer gets me the, the issues next week, I can probably bang them out really quickly because that will just be my main focus is just getting all those books to all the backers and making sure that they're happy. And then I can launch uh, the next Kickstarter, uh, which is I have... This is the trade for the first two issues, which features Lady Redbeard. This is a Diego Guerrera artwork, which he did nice. all the artwork on the inside of. It's amazing. I gotta be careful where I flip this open because there is a lot, of, a lot of uh, nudity and stuff. But I want oh, okay. to see monster in it, and there's oh, um, zombie dinosaurs, and there's astronauts, and there's well, this amazing. is page. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then awesome. there's the road witch, which. Um, She's, uh, this is an Ali Garza cover. And then That's she's, uh, this is also an R rated, uh, mostly for violence and stuff. I mean, there's like some nominal, there's some naked stuff in it, but, um, that's one of the jokes in Spicy Pulp, uh, five is that Lady Redbeard is naked for almost the entire thing. And I was like, if Richard Corbin could have Dan naked for the whole thing, then we can do some stuff with that. And I mean, that's really like what the comics that, I mean, Right. Stuff like that, you know, the Richard yeah. Corbin and the Druna and the the Mobius and and um, I wanted to uh, again bring back fun. Just pick up a book and read it for fun. Don't read it because you've been reading it for your whole life and it's a habit. Mm -hmm. Don't read it because mm -hmm. you know it, it's 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 a target audience based book where it has you know it, it doesn't have demographic 
requirements. It's just fun. It's just read it and then, you know, go on with your day after that. But, you know, hopefully it puts a smile on your face or you let, you know, you get a chuckle out of it or, you know, you get grossed out or something. Just some kind of visceral reaction that's better than, you know, like, okay, that's just another chapter and 37 more chapters and I'll have the first complete story of something, you know. (laughs) And a lot of your stuff, um, a lot of your stuff's available on Comixology, right? Are these books on Comixology already? Um, Standstill is on Comixology, and um, obviously Billy Kid's going to be on there soon. Right. And um, I am looking at doing like a cumulative thing with Spicy Pulp because I have all the different backup stories in there. And I also did a um, – I loved Savage Sword of Conan, as we were talking about earlier, but I, and I wanted to do a Savage Sword of Conan, but I didn't want it to be the same thing. So mm-hmm. I thought it would be funny if I did, um, after watching, uh, there's a movie called Demon Slayer. It's an Italian sword and sorcery movie from the eighties. It's horrible. Yep. yep. And uh, if you, have you seen it? Uh, no, I've seen clips. I've never watched. It, <laughs> I, I watched the whole thing and I was like, you could never do this now. No one will <laughs> yeah. ever let you make this movie. I'm like, right, right. It's misogynistic. It's so, Oh yeah. So I thought that would be really funny if like you had a barbarian and he just didn't get it at all. Like mm-hmm. he was like, I'm entitled to, sex because i saved you so why right. are you being resistant to this and right. having a female character that saved me like well you're gross why would i do that like you're not even gonna, <laughs> not even gonna buy me mead you know you're a barbarian right. who doesn't have a horse like where's right, you know, right. like what's in yeah. it for me yeah and he just doesn't understand um <laughs> so i mean it's dude bro the barbarian and he is sort of an amalgamation of oh my god Golden, fred flintstone warlord <laughs> And, Dude, uh, bro, the barbarian. That's amazing. <laughs> oh my! I need to get a poster of him. That's oh. so funny. So it's just fun. Again, it's fun. It's not. It's a. It's a. It's a rom com sword and sorcery comic. It runs mm-hmm. for three episodes and then it's done. And yep. I get to make fun of the difference between wizards and sorcerers and <laughs> women that have a specific type that they go for that is bad for them, and him not right. understanding that. Um, right. Right. And him just being not aware of any of it. Yeah, he's like, I'm ripped, I'm beautiful. Yeah, Why do you want yeah. this wrinkled old dude in a robe who makes sparks fly out of his hand? I really don't right. understand what the attraction is. That's so funny, dude. Oh, man. That's awesome. Yeah. It makes me think of... Uh, the. It was a recent issue of Savage Avengers where they actually had Conan have a... Uh, conflict with Black Widow where he's just, like, hitting on her and she's just like, <laughs> I have no interest in you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a great back and forth between those two. Yeah. That's that's what, that's yeah, I mean, one of the jokes is like, you know, he's like, many women have had sex with me and only some of them have paid, I've had to pay. And, you know, <laughs> always, <laughs> that's all. I've only had to pay some of them. That's amazing. <laughs> um, well, awesome, dude. Uh, thank, I mean, thanks for sharing all your projects with us. And we're definitely going to share when those books come out. But if Thanks our listeners and watchers want to follow you, where can we send them? Where's the best place to send them for you? Um, it, it depends. I mean, I, I, I'm much less salty in 2021 than I was previously on Facebook, but I don't have a lot of interesting stuff to say on social media because it's like, uh-huh. I, I don't know. I, I feel like social media is a positive and a negative, but the negative is more prevalent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, there, yeah. yeah we, just, we feel that. Yep. I don't really, I don't have the time to argue about things that don't mean anything to me. You know, if it's yep. not making me money, I don't really care what other people are doing. They can have, <laughs> right. you can have at it. Yeah. Um, jvgray.com is the website. And um, I think I've got an Instagram on there. But again, unless you want to look at pictures of my cats, 
I don't know. That, <laughs> but that's, you know, the social media outlet. I'm kind of on Twitter, but not really. But I don't know. Um, and you have your own website, too? Yeah, that's jvgray.com. Oh, jvgray. Sorry. Yep. That's all right. So, yeah. Um, so everybody yeah. out there, I'll have the links to that below the JV Gray website, uh, as well as Justin's uh, Comixology uh, page, and I'll even throw in a link to the Previews World Billy the Kit, so that you can order it straight from the website to your local comic shop. And there's also um, there's a like landing page where you can sign up to be notified for the Spicy Pulp Six Kickstarter. Okay. Um, and that's going to have all the issues that are going to be available, whether it's the two trades that collect the first two issues and then the separate issues of five and six. And I, I, these are 60 to 64 page comics. They're not like a 22 page comic. Um, so they're big, healthy sized comics. Yeah. Shoot that my way too. I'll add that into the show notes as well. So people can just click on it and check it out. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but good. yeah, Justin, thanks so much for being on, man. Uh, Hopefully we'll do it again soon one day and uh, talk a little bit more about some because uh, we didn't even mention Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters. Yeah. And no, one we day we're going to sit down and talk about Uncle Sam. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about Freedom Fighters <laughs> for sure. All right, yeah. This is, yep. there's, something, there's something in there I'm Thank sure you. somebody will find offensive. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And we're back. Check him out. All the cool stuff he's doing. Um, Spicy Pulp coming back to Kickstarter. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll just jump into the little bit of comic news we have here, Chris. Yeah. (laughs) This will probably (laughs) Um, go quick, everybody. Yeah. Uh, Marvel has announced another edition of the 60th anniversary of the Fantastic Four. This, it's going to be in the form of a single issue homage. Homage? Homage? I don't know. Homage. Homage, sorry. Homage. Uh, to some classic stories. Fantastic Four Anniversary Tribute Number One will have redrawn versions of Fantastic Four Number One, Fantastic Four Annual Number Three, in the vein of last year's Captain America Tribute Number One. A few of the artists on this issue include Brian Hitch, Daniel Warren Johnson, Javier Rodriguez, John Romita Jr., Marco Cicchetto, Neil Adams, and many more. That sounds pretty cool. As someone who's never read those issues, I'll probably check that out. Yes, I grabbed the Captain America tribute one. Right. It's it's really cool. Each so I think there's something like fifty, maybe sixty artists on it. Mm-hmm. And it's because one artist does one page and they recreate the page based on the original script and everything. That's cool. And it's neat. Yeah. It's yeah. a neat thing to do to kind of, you know, pay tribute to those comics that are very, very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really cool thing. DC does that a lot, too, with their main characters. But um, All right, let's talk about what we read this week. What do you think? Yeah, so I'll jump in right here and say that uh, I was able to get to the comic shop. on. I had one day this week where I was able to go. Oh, okay. And when I went, the uh, shop was closed. <laughs> oh, man, that sucks. So I did not get my books this week. So I will have okay. very little to say. All right, you'll have a lot to talk about next week, though. Yeah, I can't say I read Harbinger Volume 2 for my <laughs> Club Valiant show, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it's not good. Um, still not liking Harbinger? <laughs> no, it's still a little rapey, and uh, a lot yeah, of characters yeah, yeah. are unlikable. And uh, yeah. it'll be very interesting, because I think next week we're talking to the writer of that book. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, honestly, you've uh, 
yeah, I don't, I haven't seen you showing this much distaste with a book since uh, My Little Pony. So um, it's, yeah, it's just the characters are so unlikable. I, and, and that might be just a me problem. Like, yeah, the rapey thing is a whole different story. But even like the, the woman who, the lead character, I say he raped her, but like, I guess there's an argument there. But even her, like, she becomes a main character, and I just dislike her too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like it, it, there's just no redeeming characters for me to attach myself to but um well with that i did read a few books so maybe i read enough for you all right um what do i what do i talk about first let's talk about suicide squad number six uh this book's really good we know that Bloodsport has been sent to earth three to get the crime syndicate to work for Amanda Waller. Um, and now, you know, Bloodsport's in trouble because Ultraman's fighting him. So she sends her suicide squad, which um, is Connor, Kent, and everybody. Well, uh, the person that shows up to meet them, because they, they get teleported somewhere else because um, they're in trouble. Ultraman's about to kill them all, so they get away from him. And she teleports them somewhere else. She teleports them right to... Uh, Superboy, like leather jacket Superboy. Um, but it says Earth 3, so I don't know where they are. I'm not sure what Earth they're on, but it's... it's So now we have two Superboys. We have Connor Kent from, uh, you know, the Teen Titans, I guess. And then... Um, uh, I think it was Young Justice. Young Justice, sorry. And then, and then we have Superboy with the leather jacket, which would be, I guess, technically... Was it pre-crisis? I can't remember. But either way, they're meeting up for some reason. Um, this book's really good because now not only am I getting a Suicide Squad book, but they deal with the crime syndicate. And also they're messing with Swamp Thing. So, uh, Batman. This, uh, this book's pretty good. This is Batman number 111. Um, what do I want to say about this book? Basically, Gotham's in shambles. Scarecrow finally catches Batman because we've had like we've had like glimpses of him being caught and like what Scarecrow's doing to him. And also the Peacemaker one, the the fighter that they've souped up and brainwashed to like lead the whole um the all the peacekeepers. He's been dosed with way more venom or fear toxin than Scarecrow's ever given to one person, so I'm sure that's gonna turn out great. And uh, yeah, so Gotham's in shambles right now. Batman's in trouble. We'll see how that how he comes out of there. Um, yeah, we talked about Infinite Frontier last week, I believe. Uh, Avengers Mech Strike number five. We talked about this already, right? Yeah, I did. Yes, it's really good. Yeah, yeah, really good. Um, and then I, I still have to read Magic number five and Swamp Thing number six. Um, but I did read some other stuff here. Geiger number five. Um, this book is awesome. You know, it's it's the art's amazing. It's so they the last book they left off. They found they had this. You know, the two kids and Geiger had the football to launch the codes for nuclear missiles. They get to this government's facility. Well, you know, the government facility government facility isn't what they thought it was, um, and so they have to escape. And Geiger is a uh, Geiger's running away 
And the next issue they tease, the government has a machine that they're filling with radioactive stuff, to like a robot to fight him. So next issue is called Man vs. Machine. Um, so I can't wait for that one. Uh, Astonishing Times. This is a comicsology original. Uh, issue one. This is a really cool book. Um, I think you'd like it. So I know you have comicsology. Get this. Re- re- check this out uh, if you do have it. It's basically about a reporter, um, and he wants to keep telling stories about superheroes, but people are kind of like over it. Like they don't want to hear about superheroes, or at least his his newspaper doesn't. Um, and then, like basically, the Superman of the world is like doing some weird shit where he killed a cosplayer that looks like him, and they're trying to like frame his death or something. So he like gets the help of this, of this old retired, um, of this old retired hero, and he's this dude with like a beard and like a samurai sword. He's basically like Batman with a samurai sword, but he's like been hiding out and he's like helping him investigate what's going on. It's a really good issue. Uh, it's kind of a twist on like you know like uh, Jimmy Olsen, but like if nobody cared about superheroes anymore, um, Wrong Earth, Night and Day. Uh, this, this is the end of, um, this story arc where we had the three dragonfly men and they've all, they pretty much resolve it. They, you know, they get the evil dragonfly man. Um, but they aren't, they aren't back on their earth. Um, so they are back, like the Earth Alpha, which is like the '60s Batman Earth. They they don't get to go back to their Earth yet, so I think they're trapped on Earth Zeta or something. One of the multiverse Earths, and two of the villains take over the mayor, and uh, and um, I don't know what he is, the commissioner and the mayor. They like knock them out, and they so basically the villains are running like the '60s Batman world. So I'm sure the next story arc will revolve around that. You know, uh, Wrong Earth is amazing. Jamal Eagles art. It's fantastic. Can't say enough good things about this book. Um, and then Crime Syndicate. Uh, this would be issue... Let me see. Issue 6. So this is the final issue. Um, I do love me some Crime Syndicate. Basically, we get... It ends off with, like, Atomica. We know that Johnny Quick was killed, and that was Atomica's boyfriend. Um Lex Luthor gets captured and Atomica basically is going to torture him, like crawl up in his brain and torture him. That's where it leaves off. Um, so the half of the story is like, you know, the crime syndicate being formed as like the, the, the area's justice league. Like this was their origin story. Um, we left off the last issue with Supergirl revealing herself. So our alter girl, alter girl and ultra man have a fight. Like basically mm-hmm. like, why didn't you let me know you were here? And then Atomica like pops out of her brain and, and she dies. So they do the whole like death of Supergirl. Um, but it was Atomica that was up in her brain, like tearing out her neurons and killing her, uh, which is pretty crazy. So like Ultraman and her arguing and then she like drops dead. So it's a really good issue. Uh, I love the crime syndicate. And is it set up for them to come back? Maybe. Oh, for sure. Cause now they're sitting around like the table, like hall justice style. And because they weren't established as a crime syndicate yet, they were all their separate entities fighting Starro. Yeah. If everybody remembers. So now they're like, okay, this is the established group, which is the normal, you know, um, crime syndicate. So I think they're leaving it to where it's, and they're killing, 
basically killing Lex Luthor. So this is the crime syndicate that we know. Um, and then I read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, Changes Constant Volume 1. This is where Eastman uh, came back with Tom Waits to like reboot the Turtles because uh, Volume 1 was on Comixology uh, for free. And I read it. It was good. The IDW reboot. IDW reboot. Yeah. yeah sorry. Um, it was really good. I liked it. And I, I wanted to get into this. I wanted to at least read this because I've heard good things about The Last Ronin. So I want to go read The Last Ronin after this because I just wanted to get brushed up on, you know, the turtles in I, IDW and, and figure out where they are before I just read that book. So um, that's what I read this week. Yeah, Turtles fans I know, I think that series is like 115 issues in. Yeah. Roughly. But Turtles fans I know are like, it's one of the best Turtles runs ever. That's like awesome. straight yeah. through. So... It's a really good series so far. So, yeah, yeah. I'm still in the middle of the Mirage run. Um, I took a break, and I think I'm on like volume four, but they're oh, like twelve okay. issue volumes. Yeah, right. Yeah, there, it's a lot of it's a lot of issues there. Yeah, so eventually I'll get to the IDW one. Nice. So yeah, I like I said, I don't have much. It was just that one trade. I I did read some like catching up stuff, like. Mm-hmm. I mean, Beta Ray Bill, the final issue came out, and that was really good. Um, and then we talked about Barbaric last week. Yep, that book's... And uh, the creator announced something on Twitter that they're going to be doing more. He's like, you're getting... He's like, we have plans for, you know, more issues, more tie-ins, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, and then I think we talked about United States Captain America, too. Mm-hmm. I... It's been such a crazy week that I haven't done much reading other than what was mandatory to me for my other show, but all good. It's all good. Yeah. We'll see next week. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Mike, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me at Fortress Ricker on Twitter. Where can they find you Andrew, on the show? Well, they can find me at Fortress Chris on Twitter, or uh, you can find the show at Fortress Comics underscore on Twitter and also at FortressComicNews.com. Remember, everybody, to give us the five-star review on whatever podcatcher you're using. And if you're watching the video version of this, to like, subscribe, share, and comment down below. And there's also the Patreon at patreon.com slash Fortress Comics. And, uh, yeah, all the stuff we talked about at the beginning, then we're doing throughout the week. It's going to be another crazy week. Um, so check all that stuff out. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you all here next week. Bye.